Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, what's worth watching in the last 15 Astros games? We'll look at the storylines. Plus, John Wall, has he played his last game with the Rockets? And we'll preview the Texans game later in the show with Locked On Browns podcast host Jeff Lloyd. Big show for you in this one. Before we get things fired up, a reminder that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. The NFL and college football are in full gear, which means the betting season really gets fun. Not only is BetUS.com the place to bet on football or really any sport, but just in a few minutes, we'll remind you about our exclusive discount. It's a way to save money, support us, and maybe make a little money over the next few months. More on that soon, but as always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, the Astros are close to wrapping up the AL West, so the big thing to keep an eye on is if they can hold on to the two-seed in the American League. At least that's what I'm keeping an eye on, Stephen. They have a one-game lead right now on the White Sox. Yeah, that's what they're going to have to really shoot for. I, I don't see. I, I certainly don't see them getting you know, the first spot and getting the home field advantage all the way through. I, I don't see that, but that is the big thing to watch. You know, the, the schedule, I mean, I know they have, you know, the A's coming up pretty soon and, the, you know, the Mariners and so forth. But what I don't want to watch, Robert, is Zach Grinke pinching against the Rangers. I hope I don't have to see that again the rest of this season because eh, he's had a little trouble against them for sure. A 6.51 ERA just against the Rangers. But, yeah, as we come down the stretch, uh, the Astros, I, I just – I need to see more consistency, obviously, both, uh, you know, really across the board. I need the, the starting pitching has definitely not been consistent. And even the, the highly touted offense, we keep talking about it, you know, it explodes for 15 runs one night and just barely scores a run the next night. So, you know, as, as we get down into the home stretch, Robert, I mean, this is really where you need to hone in and, and get it going if you're going to go into the postseason with any kind of momentum. And the Astros just don't really have that right now. You want me to give you a positive from the last couple of weeks? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Alex Bregman. He's killing it. He's killing yeah. it, Stephen. He, yeah. He's killing it since the injury. I think that's the biggest positive that I've seen as we close in on the playoffs. Yeah, I've been very good to see that because it, I, I just kind of wondered because he was out for so long, you know, how long would it take him to get going? Uh, he's a slow starter at the beginning of the season, you know, but then when he missed time, you kind of thought maybe that might be the problem. But no, Alex Bregman... He, he's definitely not the problem lately. I also have to mention Kyle Tucker because our friend Jimmy Price over at Astros Future put out a stat that Kyle Tucker has the best average since May 9th of any player in Major League Baseball. That was a couple of days ago. I don't know if things have changed much, but still, it's pretty crazy. Well, yeah, it has to be pretty close. And, and Kyle Tucker, I mean, I'm glad to see that he's developing into the player that we kept thinking and hoping he would. Sometimes it just takes these guys a while. We have to remember, not everybody is on the fast track. But Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, you know, you, you've got, I know, you know, it's a, such a very small sample size and we can't get too excited about it yet. But, you know, even some of the, the new guys like Jose Siri, I mean, who would have thought, you know, the, the, what he did in his first start. But you got Jake Myers, you know, hoping that he can remain consistent and do, you know, with the defense that he does in center field. So, I mean, the Astros have some young guys that I, I think are starting to uh, come up. And, of course, you have Chaz McCormick in there. 
But it just seems that, you know, there are some nights, it's either feast or famine with these guys, especially on offense. And that's really, I think, the biggest thing that worries me as we head into the postseason. I tend to worry about Dusty, as you know, Stephen. And you mentioned Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick. Have you noticed that when Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick play on a regular basis, they play well, but when they don't, they play bad. Both of those guys, and that's something that I just don't understand. What's the point in platooning two right-handed hitters, Stephen? Why just play Jake Myers? He's got the talent. He's the guy. Yeah, especially when you're talking about you know defense and how many times have we said on this podcast, Robert, when you get in the playoffs – defense makes the difference, you know, especially when you're in a close game, a drop ball here, you know, a missed play there. And yeah, Jake Myers is a young guy and Dusty is, uh, for whatever reason, it it seems to be hesitant about just, you know, how Jake Myers is doing. But I mean, if he keeps playing like he is, he's got to play more. But yeah, I've got to see more of Jake Myers. I mean, Chaz McCormick, I I think he's still developing and, and I think he'd be a good player. But the more I see of Jake Myers, the more I believe he is the Astros' future in center field, bar none. I mean, what's he going to do, Stephen? Is he going to platoon Jake Myers and Chas McCormick, two right-handed hitters in the playoffs? Are we really going to do that? Are we really going to put out Chas McCormick when we know Jake Myers is a much better defensive center fielder, that Jake Myers is faster, that Jake Myers has more potential like as a average hitter i mean this is all jake myers is he's the future in center field what are we doing here yeah well i'm afraid you you probably will have to get used to it robert i mean this seems to be his his mo uh, at least with these two guys so but you know what if jake myers can continue to distinguish himself then you know maybe there will come a point when Dusty realizes he's got to play him the majority of the time there's two weeks left in the season this is no time to play games it's time to Get guys in the groove. Play the guys that are going to matter in the playoffs. Yeah, you can rest the veterans like Altuve occasionally or Guriel, who whoever you know you want to rest a little bit down the stretch. But and obviously Brantley is, you know, he's had his issues. They've you know benched him till he can get his uh, self back together. But yeah, it's 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 Dusty that's always a little bit of a concern for me, and that gets me to a guy that you mentioned earlier, and Zach Granke, who was. Back out on the mound. It wasn't pretty Tuesday night, like you said. And I'm going to have beef with Dusty if he's anything higher than the fourth starter in the postseason, Stephen. I'm just telling you, you're going to hear me whine and cry when when he's like (laughs) number two or number three starter. They get bats on balls with Zach Granke. His ERA is up to close to four now. It's time to think, you know, we've got uh, Zach Granke. He's your fourth starter at best in this rotation. End of story. Well, I mean, it's hard for me to disagree with you, Robert, but here's the problem. Is it who among the Astros staff is really going to step up and be that ace guy? And, then you know, there, there's just been so much inconsistency across the board. I mean, Lance McCullers Jr., been up and down most of the season. You know, Framber Valdez is not the Framber Valdez of last year. You know, we've seen that lately. You know, Jose Arquiti has been injured on two different occasions and is still trying to find his groove. You know, Luis Garcia, I mean, he he's certainly been good most of the season, but you've got to watch your innings with him. Zach Grinke is, has been, as you said, it, it just hasn't really done the job. Now, you know, a lot of people can point to the way he pitched Tuesday night. I mean, he's coming off of uh, mild COVID symptoms and maybe a bit of rust. I, I am a little surprised that maybe they didn't send him at least for one or two rehab starts, but they decided to just throw him in there. So, you know, maybe some of that is the reason that, he gave up even more home runs Tuesday night, and he just doesn't seem to pitch well against the Rangers. But, 
Yeah, I mean, my whole problem, Robert, it, it's it's with the whole Astros starting rotation that you just keep waiting for somebody to really take control, and it just isn't happening. So, uh, you know, that that's where I stand on that. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with the results that Grinky's been giving you lately. Lance McCullers, they're batting 207 against him this year. Yeah, he doesn't get the innings sometimes that you want him to have, but he's got a 3-1-2 ERA. It's the best on the staff. Reluctantly, I have to say he's the ace because I'm a, I'm a Framber guy. I love Framber, but he just he hasn't been able to get it together consistency. But they're batting 224 against Framber. They're batting 225 against Luis Garcia. They're batting 251, Stephen, against Zach Greinke, and that's the problem. And and he doesn't make guys miss the bait. I keep saying that because in the playoffs, yeah. that's what matters. You got to get guys to miss baseballs. And, you know, Zach Greinke, he's got a great career behind him. He's a Hall of Famer, but he's getting old and you don't really trust him to sail through innings anymore. No, that's certainly true. Yeah, the swing and miss. I mean, you talk about guys like Urquidy who can do that. You know, McCullers is certainly capable of doing that. But, uh, yeah, the, the 251 average is, is certainly a, a problem. And, it's just something, you know, that that is one thing we're going to watch as we get in these, you know, last couple weeks of the season is who among the Astros staff is going to step forward and, and really plant themselves at the front of that rotation. I, I would have to say you're right. Lance McCullers is probably, you know, the guy that has been the most consistent lately. But, you know, even even he's had run into some issues before. But I think, you know, the, the one thing I will say is when you do get in the postseason, you've got the experience of guys like. Lance McCullers Jr., you know, even Jose Urquidy, he's got some playoff experience. Grinky certainly has playoff experience. So experience hopefully will be the factor, but it, it's just a little worrisome when you've got two weeks left in the season. And look, you know, the Astros can't afford to just lay down and rest these guys or rest on their laurels because they're not way ahead in the division. You know, you've got Seattle creeping up on them. You know, the only reason they haven't given up the division is because Oakland was losing so much, but Seattle is the team that's been up and coming. So, and yeah, the, the Astros can't really slow down. They've got to keep going these next two weeks. As we go down the stretch here, who are your guys that you're trusting in the bullpen in the playoffs? It feels like it's really coming down to Stanek and Graveman as the setup guys for Presley. Uh, Yimmy Garcia, it just hasn't worked out great with him. And I'm basically like, let's roll with those two guys as the, the main two leading up to Presley. Yeah, I certainly think that's true. I mean, Phil Maton hasn't done the job. As you said, Garcia hasn't. I, I certainly don't trust Brooks Raley. I think, you know, as your left-handed guy, Blake Taylor is, is probably the one that you're going to put, obviously, in certain situations. But, yeah, when you get in the postseason, you've got to have those setup guys. Stanek is, uh, you know, for most of the season ha has proven to be the guy. Kendall Graveman, and he's run into some difficulty lately, but you know, for the most part, I would certainly you know feel like he's done the kind of job that the Astros were hoping they he would do when they got him. That's the present. What about the past? What's going on in our favorite segment this week in Astros history? Yeah, we do have a number of things here, and of course, we we haven't podcast a regular show in over a week, so I had to kind of pick and choose a little bit over the last week. Um, well, September 11th, you know, in 2001, of course, we, you know, certainly know what happened on that day. But September 11th had some positive things in Astros history. In 1999 on that day, Jose Lima, the late Jose Lima, becomes the team's first 20-game winner 
in 10 years. He beat the Cubs 5-3 to three on that day. So uh, we, we could talk about Lima time all day, couldn't we, Robert? Ole! Ole! <laughs> Man, he left us much, much too soon, Jose Lima. But, uh, yeah, first 20-game winner in 10 seasons. So uh, he certainly had a, a few good years with the Astros. So uh, he was a good memory on, uh, in 1999 on September 11th. On September 8th, 1998, we talk about him a lot. Jeff Bagwell hits his first career grand slam. There was just one problem, Robert. If you were trying to watch that on television, you didn't get to see it because Fox Sports Southwest had switched to the St. Louis Cardinals game where Mark McGuire had hit his 62nd home run to break Roger Maris's single-season record. How dare they switch to Mark McGuire and miss Jeff Bagwell's first career Grand Slam? You know that uh, Mark McGuire, uh, history has treated him well, I guess, when we look back. No, no wait, I'm now being told that that is not the case. That is not the case. <laughs> yeah, uh, frankly, not. Uh, not at the time, though. We, we certainly didn't know then what we know now. But, uh, yeah, that, you know, 1998, certainly an interesting season. And, uh, yeah, so how come everybody's treating Mark McGuire so well now uh, you know, and yet when it comes to cheating, the the Astros, they're going to be the villains, you know, for the next hundred years or so. But anyway, that's what happened on September 8th, 1998. Jeff Bagwell was dissed for Mark McGuire on television after hitting his first career gla- uh, grand slam. Well, September 12th, 1993, Jeff Bagwell, uh, we talk about him again, this time not so much in a positive light because he has his hand broken. After being hit by the Phillies' Ben Rivera, the Astros win the game 9-2. to two. They had homers by Craig Biggio and Chris Donalds. I'd, I'd forgotten about that name, Robert. I mean, Chris Donalds, we don't talk too much about him at all. Pete Harnish picked up the win. It was his 15th of the season, but the worst news there is Jeff Bagwell had his hand broken out. Remember, he had that big padding on his hand for the rest of his career after that. I guess that was the moment, you know, I, I forgot about that, that that had happened that kind of preceded him wearing the big padding, but it, it just became like a fixture with him, like uh, all the armor that Craig Biccio used to wear. Yeah, that's very true. But that, that was what set him into to wearing that pad. And it certainly came in handy because he got, I think hit on the hand several times more after that. And uh, that was on September 12th, 1993. I think I said the 8th, but it was actually September 12th. Because on September 8th, 1993, Robert, I know you remember this one. Another player who left too soon. He was with another team when he passed away. But Daryl Kyle throws the ninth no-hitter in Astros history, a 6-1 to victory over the Mets. He threw 85 pitches, Robert, 85 and 61 of them for strikes. He allowed... One walk in that game. So, yep, the Daryl Kyle no-hitter. We definitely remember that if we've been following the Astros for quite a while. How do we teach Lance McCullers to throw an 85-pitch no-hitter? I mean, I, he can't throw 85 pitches in five innings sometimes. So I, I that's the problem with the Lance McCullers to bring it back to today. Well, that's the problem with, I think, most of the Astros starters. I mean, you think of it. See how many pitches that most of them throw, and they could barely get through six innings. And they throw 90 pitches or sometimes more. So, yeah, an 85-pitch no-hitter. Man, that I mean, that's pretty difficult to do nowadays, apparently, especially among the Astros staff. So, yeah, 1993 on September 8th, a Daryl Kyle no-hitter. That was definitely one of the best memories in Astros history. 
And my final one occurred in 1972. We're going back to the uh, the year that I first started following the Astros, Robert. It was September 7th, 1972. Don Wilson, man, I keep talking about these guys who uh, left us either quite some time ago or very early age. Well, Don Wilson ties a team record with a 13-inning complete game. Now, you talk about something that doesn't happen anymore, Robert. How about a 13-inning complete game? The Astros beat the Giants 5-1. to Wilson throws 193 pitches. You know, for, for some guys, Robert, that's like three starts, 193 pitches. Bob Watson and Roger Metzger each hit homers in that game. But, man, you talk about the story is Don Wilson throwing 13 innings and 193 pitches. Jake Odorizzi just wants to get past, like, pitch 65. He he, he wants to have a, <laughs> a, a a word with whoever the manager was there because he, he, he wants on that team. It's killing Jake Odorizzi that he can't get enough innings to get that. I think he's got some bonus in his contract based on innings or whatever. But, yeah, and by the way, Jake, we didn't mention it. You know, he gets hurt. Hopefully he's back. You need Jake Odorizzi, and I think we talked about it last week, but it's – seeming very obvious that Jake Odorizzi is going to be the piggyback guy. He's going to be the, 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 the one that you would bring in, you know, if somebody's running out of gas in the fifth inning or something like that, you can bring in joke Jake for two or three. In, Cause he's great. You know, those first couple times through the lineup. Yeah. First couple times through the lineup. The only question is, you know, not being the starter and coming out of the bullpen, you know, how well can he adapt to that? But yeah, if you're talking about a guy that you need him to go through the order at least once, maybe twice, uh, Jake Odorizzi would be the guy. So on paper, it would look like a great match. Uh, just a question of, you know, is, is he one of those starters that can come out of the bullpen? And of course, you know, Jake, he had a little bit of a blow up after that start before he injured his foot. So hopefully that's cleared up and he can just well, get yeah, his no, head on He straight. apologized to the he fans did. on he that did. on Twitter, which I thought was really impressive. Right. He did. He, he certainly apologized. But, but you can tell the frustration is getting to him. Uh, especially the fact that Dusty keeps pulling him after two times. But look, you know, here's the way to change that, Jake. Go through the lineup a third time and start getting outs. I mean, yeah, that's tough, but it's tough for any pitcher to do. And, you know, if he's going to go the long way, then he's got to do that. Now, I guess, you know, in the postseason, if you're going to be a starter, chances are you're not going to go through the lineup three times for the most part. So, yeah, Jake Odorizzi is a guy to watch to see what's going to happen once he does come back, uh, if he does come back. He's not going to have much time before the season ends, though, before the playoffs begin. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's going to matter because he he needs to pitch two or three innings at max in the playoffs when he, when he comes back. You know, there's two weeks left. So hopefully right. this is not serious and he can get out on the mound and just you know get some sessions in either with Sugarland or down in Florida or something like that. Just somewhere where he can warm up a little bit and be ready just to go a couple innings in the playoffs if, if they need him. But great stuff with this week in Astros history. I want to go over to something that I heard last week, Stephen, because I thought it was fantastic. Rich Eisen has a podcast. He has on Al Michaels. Can't recommend this episode enough because, Stephen, you talk about a guy with a rabbit's foot through his whole life. Oh, Al Michaels. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. I, <sighs> I, was, I, was, I, I heard that podcast, by the way, and I love Rich Eisen. I think he's one of the best around. He's very underrated. You know, you don't. You don't hear people talk about him a lot. But, you know, when I was listening to that interview with Al Michaels, I was getting kind of jealous, Robert, because I was sitting there going, man, why couldn't have I gotten breaks like that? And I'm sure you were feeling the same way because 
it just seemed, you know, I, I had a teacher in high school tell me two things, and both of those things came true and still are coming true. And they certainly came true for Al Michaels. One of the things he always told, told me was, you need to be in the right place at the right time. That certainly was the case for Al Michaels. And the other, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, you know, Al Michaels knows a lot. There's no doubt about it. So I think in his case, it's both. But man, some of the stories he was telling, it just, you know, how he got some of the jobs he got. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Robert. I want to steal that rabbit's foot or whatever it is he uses. Is it Vince Scully that said luck is the residue of design, but you still got to have the luck? <laughs> well, you do. I, I mean, that's a lot of it. You know, being in the right place at the right time, it, it certainly involves timing, you know, fortune. Al Michaels had that, but I mean, you, you really have to have a little of both, I think, especially in a business like broadcasting or, you know, if you're going to be a movie star or singer, any any form of entertainment. Yeah, you, you've got to have that. But But honestly, you've got to have people in your corner that are going to stand up for you because it is so competitive, as I guess most people know, Robert, and you and I certainly do. Being in a business like this, it it is it's cutthroat. I mean, it just everybody wants to be a star, and you've got to have people that can stand up and say, "Hey, we need to give this guy a shot." And that's certainly what happened with Al Michaels. People forget he was a baseball guy. You know, back in the '70s, he called the Reds games. And one of my favorite stories from the podcast was when he was calling games for the Hawaii Islanders, the AAA baseball team. Back in the day, and they were playing their rival, the Spokane Indians, the AAA for the Dodgers at that time. The Indians had Davey Lopes, Bill Buckner, Bobby Valentine, Bill Russell, Steve Gary. This is a great uh, wow. Dodgers team that was back in AAA at that particular time. And their manager was Tommy Lasorda. This was Tommy was not the Dodgers manager at, at this time either. He was the That's Spokane right. Indians manager. And so, so Lasorda gets on the phone after every game to report back to Dodgers GM Al Campanis. Towards the end of a seven-game series with the Islanders, Lasorda's on the phone, Stephen, with Campanis, and he says, you know, I know we got Vince Scully, and he's, he's fantastic, but we need to keep our eye on this kid, Al Michaels. He's doing a great job. And Campanis says, wait a second, how do you know he's any good? And Lasorda says, well, <laughs> I've been thrown out of the last four games and I've been back in the clubhouse <laughs> listening to him. <laughs> I was hoping you would tell that story, Robert, because honestly, that was my favorite of all. I mean, Al Michaels was telling stories left and right. And like we said, you've got to check out that podcast. But yeah, imagine that. Tommy Lasorda getting thrown out of a ball game. Imagine. <laughs> and he had four in a row in a triple A. This was a triple A game, Robert. This wasn't the major leagues. And he's getting out of, thrown out of, consecutive games and he's in the clubhouse listening to Al Michaels. Yeah, that's a great story. Tommy Lasorda. Yeah. Talk about an up and comer. I mean, I remember when I first, you know, when I first started keeping up with baseball, uh, you know, Walter Alston was the manager of the Dodgers and Tommy Lasorda, I, I believe after that, you know, after that uh, managing in AAA, he was Walter Alston's third base coach. And then when Alston stepped down, Tommy Lasorda, of course, took over the reins and the rest is history. But yeah, that was absolutely my favorite Al Michaels story of that interview. Yeah, Tommy mellowed out over the years, as we know. No, 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 no. Tommy did not yeah, mellow out. Yeah, Tommy never mellowed out. My, <laughs> my grandmother always had a crush on him because she just thought he was one of the most flamboyant guys in baseball because he would just, the way he would run up and down the field, you know, in the dugout, it just uh, the personality that he had. Yeah, Tommy Lasorda, definitely uh, one of the great personalities of the game, whether you love him or hate him. 
Tommy would run through a wall for the Dodgers, but you know who doesn't want to run any walls out there anymore? It's the Rockets. How do you like that transition, Stephen? <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah, are the Rockets tearing down the wall? Uh, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Uh, no more John Wall, I guess, at least not in games anyway. John Wall is not going to play for the Rockets, according to management. They, they've they talked to him about that. It's basically whether he gets dealt or he gets bought out. And Stephen, let's just be honest here. John Wall's contract, two years left, 40 plus million a year, both years it's going to get bought out. You know, I, I see people on Twitter, these Rockets super fans or Rockets Twitter, like, well, what about this trade? And what about that? No, there's there's going to be no trade. You, you have to have two teams that want a guy before there's not a buyout. Because if one team wants him and they see nobody else wants to pay anything or, or, or trade anybody for him, then they're just going to say, well, we'll just wait till you guys buy him out because where else are you going to go with him? And that's, where you're at with John Wall. I mean, the Clippers, that's the prevailing thought, but <laughs> who, who else? And the Clippers are just going to say, hey, let's 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 see what happens because I don't think you can trade him to anybody else because nobody else is going to take that contract. Well, you know, the worst position to be in, Robert, is when everybody in the league knows your secret. <laughs> you know, and, and in this case, everybody in the league knows the Rockets' secret. It's, it's not a secret. You know, they, they're going to just, yeah, they can sit and buy their time and wait because they know that the contract is too big. And, yeah, maybe one team out of everyone in the NBA, that doesn't give you a whole lot of leverage, does it, when when you're wanting to make a trade? So I, I agree. I think that, the, you know, I, it is a shame that the Rockets are going to have to eat up so much money for a guy. And, you know, and, and who knows it, it's if he's not going to play any games, you know, kind of like, I mean, I'm not comparing the Deshaun situation as far as the situation itself. But, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, John Wall's going to be sitting there. He'll be in training camp, maybe, you know, guiding some of the young players and whatnot. But he's not going to be playing, but he's going to be making all that money. So, you know, if you're the Rockets, you know, it's a shame you got to dish out all that money to somebody who's not going to play until you get basically get rid of him. But that's just the situation the Rockets put themselves in, you know, obviously when, when they signed him and, and paid him all this money. Well, no, they didn't sign him. Let's get be clear. They got into this situation because of the Chris Paul to Russell Westbrook, and then Russell Westbrook wants out, and then you trade him for John Wall. So it's definitely not on the current GM, Rafael Stone. And, and this is probably mostly on Tillman Fertitta. And, you know, well, we got to get rid of Chris Paul because James Harden says we got to get rid of Chris Paul, and he forced that trade, and you get stuck in that situation. And, and Stone, you could say, well, he should have kept Russell Westbrook and sat on it. And, you know, then you would have just had two years of Russell Westbrook left or whatever. But I, I, I overall, I thought that was at least worth a shot to do the Westbrook for John Wall thing. And they, they took a shot with that. And maybe John Wall, you know, has got something left and maybe he can be an all-star again. We saw him last year. He's not an all-star again. It's, it's, not, it's not coming back. He's, he's going to be injured and all that stuff. And the other important thing to remember, Stephen, with all this, now all the pressure is on Kevin Porter Jr. You know, all you Kevin Porter Jr. honks out there. And, you know, I've got a lot of reticence about that. Oh, yeah. I'm not convinced at all. He's going to be the point guard, Stephen. Now that's it. I mean, it's it's him or DJ Augustine. Well, I mean, I've, I haven't heard any names thrown around, but I, I have heard. I think some sources have said the Rockets are talking to some point guards. But obviously, you know, they're, they're not going to be a top flight free agent at this point in the game when you're so close to training camp. And don't get me wrong. I wasn't blaming the Rockets for this. I 
you know, the fact that they got John Wall, I, I think he did prove one thing, and that is he can still play. Is he the same John Wall that he was before he got injured? Oh, absolutely not. But I think he went above and beyond what everybody expected that he would, and he did contribute to some degree for the Rockets. It's just that he was in a, he was put in a situation where, you know, obviously once the James Harden trade happened and then, you know, the dominoes fell in after that, such a terrible season, you know, you, you can't blame John Wall for that. I'm just saying from a money standpoint, the Rockets put themselves in that position. That's that's really what I was trying to say. But, you know, now they're going to have to deal with that and pay him all this money for who knows how long until they either could unload him on someone or, as you said, Robert, the chances are it's going to be a buyout. It's going to be interesting to see what happens here. And I'm I'm fascinated to see if they can unload him. But I, I my bet is there's just there's no way. Are, are you betting on this, Robert? Come on, tweet tweet at me <laughs> if you disagree with this. I'm, I'm, I'm telling all of you listeners or fans of the show, tell me like I'm wrong. Tell me I'm that, that, that something's going to happen. And you come at you come at me when something does happen. I don't mind. Hang on. Let me interrupt you, ladies and gentlemen. You, you better put your boxing gloves on because Robert, he's looking for a fight. You know, he already said that Zach Grinke is the number four starter and anybody who disagrees wants to, you better fight him. So, you know, if you're going to go on Twitter, you better have your boxing gloves ready. Right, Robert? I mean, come on, man. Everybody's fighting in the stands these days. I might as well get get into some scuffles myself, you know? Yeah, why not fight on Twitter where you can't get physically hurt? That That's where I would, yeah, I, I'd go with that. And if anybody's seen me, that's about all I can fight. <laughs> I, I weigh like 12 pounds. Yeah, well, I'm no help. I'm not much better than you. So uh, both of us being in a fight, you know, two against one, they, they probably still win, Robert. All right, let's let's get to the Texans. Uh, we're we're, we're going to preview this game. We've got a great guest coming up. But the big news, I guess, since... The game happened, and the huge win was Texans defensive tackle Vincent Taylor. He's going to undergo ankle surgery, miss six to eight weeks max, according to a league source. He's going to be placed on injured reserve. There's not many injuries, Stephen, that I, I think matter with the Texans this year. Is there an injury that you go, oh, no, we lost that guy? What are we going to do? Well, not yet, and it's a long season, but at least after that first game, yeah, you, you didn't come in with anything major except for that. I mean, Vincent Taylor has shown some flashes. I think one of the first plays of the game, he batted down a pass, but I, I believe the, the Jags had called timeout or, you know, something had happened where, uh, but, you know, the fact that he had the injury is a shame. But, uh, yeah, so far, that's that's the only one you can play through. But, uh, you know, it's a 17-game season now, so we just have to keep our fingers crossed that keeps up, Robert. And uh, if we're going to talk about this game, we got to mention that our friends at BetUS.com had the Texans as a 12.5-point underdog. And, Stephen, let, let's preview this a little bit. Where would you put your money this week? Do you want to take the 12.5 points and take the Texans, or are you going to give it up with the Browns? I, I, I don't know what to do because I feel like the Texans are going to make a lot of games close this year, but... I don't get fooled by what happened in week one. We know that. No, don't get fooled by it. Now, I think one thing that is in the Texans' favor, at least as we're recording this today, Robert, and obviously that could change between now and game time, is the weather. You know, they're projecting, you know, at least several days from now, it's going to be in the 80s in Cleveland, not in the 30s or 20s. Uh, it will be windy, you know, but the game last year was such an ugly game, <laughs> you know, 10 to 7. Um, I, You know what? I, I think... I, I don't see the Texans winning this game, but I'm not so sure about that 12 and a half points. I'm not sure I'd take those points uh, just because if the Texans, you know, the big factor obviously is if they can get the ground game going, 
And if the defense, you know, can even make a couple of big plays off of uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, like the Chiefs certainly did, I think that it will be a closer game than 12 and a half. My guess is it's going to be a blowout. I'm not going to get fooled by this. Uh, I'm still betting against the Texans as much as I can this year, I guess, until the numbers get way (laughs) up there. Uh, We're going to find out more about this game in just a second. But we got to tell you, if you're betting on the NFL this season, if you're betting on the Texans, you know where to go. Do it with BetUS.com because you might as well find a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. It's not just football. They'll take action on any sport, just about any sport. Just check their BetUS.com website. They're a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades. Diehard customer fan base, a mobile platform that's easy with full betting options. Just log into BetUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. And here's how we can save you money when you do it. When you sign up, just use our promo code HST125 to redeem a 125% sign up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. Let me say that again, 125%. That's good numbers there on a $100 deposit. And again, that code is HST as in Houston Sports Talk 125. To help our podcast, sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned post at the top of our Twitter page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. Click on the BetUS icon. Follow my lead and get your phone online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. Joining me on the line to preview the Texans and Browns is an old friend from the Locked On Podcast Network, the host of the Locked On Browns podcast, Jeff Lloyd. Great to catch up with you, Jeff. And what's it feel like to play the most dominant team in the AFC South after week one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually it was even funny because we started uh, talking a little bit, you know, turning the page towards the Texans this week. And I don't think anybody really thought the phrase your first place Houston Texans would come out of anybody's mouth anytime in the 2021 season. Uh, but yes, in fact, that is where we are at as, you know, the Browns uh, will have their home opener Sunday with the Houston Texans coming in. A lot of old friends on the Houston Texans, starting with Tyrod Taylor, obviously. And this is where it's been weird this week. Um, a lot of people seem like so upset that the Browns didn't win the game. It hurts when you lose a game that you probably had won, and the Browns probably did have that one. But you can't find anybody that actually predicted the Browns were going to beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. So hopefully, you know, all of this and the possible success that this 2021 season can be will begin Sunday in First Energy. Let's get your takeaways from the Chiefs game, which I thought, despite the loss, was an impressive performance. I mean, the Browns were leading practically the entire game, and the Chiefs, I mean, that offense, the team that's been to back-to-back Super Bowls, I thought they looked great, I mean, considering everything. Yeah, I mean, if you look in the, you know, the realm of the game, you know, the Browns were up 29-20 to 20 in the third quarter, had possession of the ball. Uh, Nick Chubb, who never puts the ball on the ground, and I, I mean never puts the ball on the ground, um, perfect hit by a Kansas City player. Balls loose. Kansas City gets uh, you know possession of the ball around midfield. The Browns were driving at the time. Certainly, you know, put Kansas City in a position to get the game close. And then, of course, you know, the Browns in the fourth quarter had Jamie and Gillian mishandle a snap. And as opposed to just picking it up quickly, and this is where it's interesting because he, you know, basically comes from a rugby style of atmosphere. Um, so it wouldn't have been that weird to just pick it up and kick it and get whatever you could. Um, panics, got walloped. 
and gave the best quarterback in, if if not the NFL, the AFC, the ball around the 17-yard line. And from there, you know, dominoes went down. The Browns still, with all of that, had an opportunity. Down four with the ball in their hands. Baker Mayfield's trying to throw the ball away. Doesn't realize there's a player behind him. Player gets his foot as Baker's releasing it. Ball loses all velocity that's on it. Gets picked, and Browns are 0-1. So, I mean, with the matter of about 12 to 13 minutes of actual game time, what looked like a promising week one victory for the Browns, Went to the wayside, but you know, on offense, they looked really good. They looked solid. A young uh, rookie wide receiver, Anthony Schwartz, paid big dividends right away. I don't think anybody saw that coming. They, I don't think anybody saw really playing time coming for him, let alone you know production and him you know basically putting up eighty six total yards defensively. Uh, you know, this is going to be a work in progress. I think all the talent is there. I think they have a lot to work with, but they were taking the first snaps together as a unit. I mean, and you're doing that against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's not easy. Malik McDowell was just incredible to watch. It's been an interesting story. I wasn't a huge fan. I'm usually not a fan of these guys who have had so much trouble off the field. Um, but the Browns, to their credit, did their due diligence. Malik McDowell, you know, has towed the line since he's been here, has towed the line for a while. They have a defensive tackle right now who has the potential to be the best defensive tackle on their roster and, you know, had a PFF grade in the 80s. This is the first NFL game this guy's ever played, seeing that he's 25 years old. Pretty amazing story, amazing comeback. You put him on a defensive line with players like Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett. It certainly, you know, definitely draws the eyes and you know, raises the eyebrows of the potential of that Browns defensive line. Finish this sentence for me. If the Browns don't do what this year, it's a disappointment in Cleveland. AFC Championship game. If the Browns do not participate in the AFC Championship game this year, it'll be a disappointment, in my opinion. Um, this is where it was turning towards for this year. And you knew in year one of the Barry Stefanski era, you had put together a very, very solid offense, put together a really good offensive line. And even though you didn't have Odell for most of the 2020 season, you had Rashard Higgins. You had Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, make steps. Um, you put together a really, really nice tight end room. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, they just work so well together. But the attention needed to be put on the defensive side of the ball here in 2021. Uh, you brought in Jadavian Clowney. You bring in John Johnson, the top free, the top safety on the market. Um, linebacker, you would bring in a special talent who can do a lot of things in Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. You've gotten something that pays dividends already, and it looks like in Malik McDowell. You drafted Greg Newsom in the first round, who didn't look anything like a rookie Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs, so much so that there wasn't really an opportunity where Patrick Mahomes even said, you know what, let me get a shot on this kid just because we know he's a rookie first time, you know, first NFL game, probably a little nerves, a little jittery. He played really well, um, showed himself really well. If you can get somebody that consistent to play against Denzel Ward, it seems you know odd to say it and seems to say it confidently. But if the Browns don't play in the AFC Championship game at least this year, this season is a disappointment. Where are you on Baker's progression? I've never had an issue with Baker Mayfield. I mean, look, 2019, everybody knows, and Baker, you know, will admit it. It just wasn't very good. You know, was some of it on Baker? Sure. Was some of it on the fact that they put together a coaching staff that they thought they really that was really good, and it was basically a mirage? Yeah, that was definitely the case. Um, I think where people get misconstrued with Baker Mayfield is statistical output. When you talk about the fact of you know these quarterbacks putting up five thousand yards, you know going over forty touchdown passes in the season with with ease, yeah, Baker Mayfield is not going to meet that. But in the same respect, though, not everybody has a backfield that's going to put up two thousand yards rushing. They don't have a backfield that's going to give you twenty total touchdowns. And I think Baker gets slighted 
due to the fact that the balance, the balance on the Browns offense is really, really good. And you want it a, to have a really, really good balance on offense. And it's great. I mean, and you look at, you know, maybe even Deshaun Watson as an example. I mean, some of the seasons he's put together are phenomenal, but you know, you take those seasons where the Texans didn't make the playoffs last year, for instance, where the Browns did make the playoffs last year, win a playoff game, What's more important at the end of the day is, you know, your quarterback, you know, assisting your team in winning games and you're getting in the playoffs or, you know, throwing for, you know, great statistical numbers. For me, I'll, I'll take W's and I'll take playing in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I'm sure for Baker, he'd like to put up the numbers that everybody else does. Um, but, you know, his biggest key and his biggest key for a long tenure here in Cleveland is that they win games. And that's what it's about. And, you know, it's not as flashy as it is. And sure, you'd like to be like Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, where you have the best of both worlds. But it's just not what the philosophy coach Kevin Stefanski has. It also part of the fact that you play in Northeast Ohio, where, you know, they had, there were two games last year, obviously, when the Texans came to town, when the Eagles came to town, even when the Raiders came to town, where it wasn't really that the, it was so much like it was rain or snow, very, very windy conditions. And this is stuff you have to deal with. And sometimes it's just not that conducive to, you know, basically going air raid, throwing for 450. So you got to play with, you know, with the hands you're dealt. And that's why the Browns have this run, this offensive line that they do. They excel in the run game. They excel in the pass game. And this way, you know, you lead to team victories. Yes, Baker's stats aren't, you know, where a lot of other quarterbacks are in the league. Um, but there were a lot of quarterbacks last year who had better statistical production than Baker Mayfield, who didn't win a playoff game, let alone even play in one. Earlier, you rattled off Tyler, Tyrod Taylor's former Brown. There's other guys that are former Browns on the Texans. Rattle, rattle off some more of those guys, because I think uh, Texans fans you know, they've had, they have so many new guys. We, we don't even know where everybody's from at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to think out loud now because I know a bunch of them are playing special teams. Um, it, it's just honestly, it, it's interesting because this has gone on, you know, for a little bit of a while now. Obviously, you know, Duke Johnson had a certain time down there. Obviously, Farrell Brown. Farrell Brown was a player I really, really liked with the Browns. You know, we had a little bit of an off-field issue coming into the NFL. But to his credit, he's kind of gotten himself right now as his time in the NFL. Terrence Mitchell was absolutely loved here. And the thing with Terrence Mitchell in his time with Cleveland and Terrence Mitchell in three seasons probably started over 30 games, but he was never supposed to be the cornerback number two each and every year. And then there was an injury or a player didn't play where, or greedy Williams had a freak thing, you know, in the summer last year and like had a shoulder nerve issue and didn't play one game last year. And every year it was, Oh, Hey Terrence, um, you know, maybe, you know, things weren't going the way we thought we were, but Hey, bud, buddy, you're right back out there. You're our starting cornerback again. Um, so, you know, and it's it's tough you know, to see where the Browns are now, you know, uh, you know, successful. And knowing that there were key players when they weren't so successful who you'd love to see be here now, but that's just not the way it works. But, yeah, definitely some reunions going to be had on Sunday. Well, let's get to this one, and I'm going to start off by asking you where the weakness is on this Browns offense, if there is one, and how the Texans – defense could approach stopping them if there is a way to do it with what the Texans have. Well, and this was the thing I think that kind of went into the success they had against the chiefs game is if Odell Beckham jr. Is not there and there's a conversation to be had on Baker Mayfield's play without Odell Beckham jr. As a, you know, to opposed to with Odell Beckham jr. And this goes back to Baker's rookie year when Odell was still with the New York giants Baker Mayfield had a reputation of, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the fifth wide receiver, the first tight end, the third tight end, the third running back. If the play is called and you're the guy that's open, 
you're the guy I'm going to throw it to. And Darren Fells, who had a great couple of years with the Texans, was a star for Baker as a rookie. You know, had a, a lot of success with him as well. So when Baker plays with the I will throw the ball to the open guy, and this is what you saw Sunday. Nobody anticipated Anthony Schwartz having the day he did. You know, David Njoku quietly is a really, really nice player that not many people know about. Um, he had a really, really nice day. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones was a player we thought we were going to see a lot of. We didn't. Um, Jarvis Landry still kind of doing his thing. Um, Kareem Hunt, uh, you know, is a player that really, really excels in the passing game as well. So Baker has all of these weapons. So sometimes it's so great to have a player of the ilk of Odell Beckham Jr. But sometimes your mind gets too caught up into, oh, where's Odell? Where's Odell? Where's Odell? As opposed to just going through your progressions as quickly as possible and saying, I don't care who it is. He's open. Let's go get some yards, line it up. Let's go again. Glad you mentioned Njoku because, yeah, I've liked him a lot, too, over the years. And, you know, getting to the Chiefs offense uh, and what they did to the Browns, nearly racking up 400 yards, you go, okay, well, maybe there's something the Texans can do on offense, but they're not in the same hemisphere, obviously, as the Chiefs. Who can the Texans pick on, and is there a matchup that you're looking at specifically either on the line or in the secondary that is a concern, if, 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 if at all? Oh, if Mac Wilson's on the field, number 51 for the Cleveland Browns, go after him. I mean, I don't know what exactly the deal is. Jeremiah Wusukormo only got 16 reps on defense uh, against the Chiefs. But maybe that's partly because of the fact they said, look, here's a rookie. We're really high on him. We think he can do some things. The last thing we want to do is to have him get his confidence shattered against Kansas City Chiefs. Um, which can happen. I mean, the Chiefs will, you know, find something. They will, you know, they can make the best of people, you know, look poor at times. Um, they, you know, it hurt that they lost Ronnie Harrison early in that game because that led to a game plan of playing more of Mac Wilson and trying to stop a player like Travis Kelsey. It didn't work. Um, so if any opportunity that 51's on the field, that's something where you should, probably should take advantage of it and go right at him any way possible because he doesn't tackle very well. He's slow to the ball. He doesn't cover very well. And, you know, in his third year now, and it's a shame because he's a great kid. The work ethic is in the question. He's not a problem off the field. It's just he's just not progressing. He's not getting any better. But the Browns, if they can play Grant Delpit this week, if, you know, they'll have Ronnie Harrison, who obviously got suspended early in Sunday's game, back on the field, that might give Joe Woods the ability to play more three safeties, which he's basically been saying, this is what I want to do since the day he got here before the 2020 season. But in 2020, Grant Telpit got hurt and he didn't have the personnel. He was playing Carl Joseph and Andrew Sandahio. In 2021, his first game, Grant Telpit didn't dress until, you know, in the opener. Ronnie Harrison got thrown out five plays into the game. So now you're down to your fifth safety playing meaningful reps in MJ Stewart, a plan that they never wanted. If the Browns can get Grant Elbert back on the field with Ronnie Harrison, with John Johnson the third, I think you're going to probably see you know a lot more four one six, you know, four defensive linemen, a linebacker, and a secondary consisting of three cornerbacks and three safeties. All right, our friends over at BetUS have the Browns as a twelve and a half point favorite. What's your prediction for how this plays out? I mean, should our our listeners that are on BetUS should they should they bet the bet on the Browns and, and uh, give up the points? Firstly, first, I don't think you're at, we are in the position now where you can look at the Browns at a 12 and a half point spread and say, go for it. No problem. Lock it in. <laughs> but I do think this is as much as Houston's probably feeling really good, good about themselves getting a week one win under their belt. The Browns locker room is probably looking at themselves going right now. You know what? 
that was huge if we could have stole that Sunday. So, but if the Browns did win that game on Sunday, now you're talking of, you know, is the focus maybe not all the way there? You know, are, are, are now we looking ahead because now we stole a game that we didn't think we were going to win? Could we, you know, start, you know, are we talking home field, blah, 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 and taking our eyes off the ultimate goal, which is going 1-0 every week, which is what Kevin Stefanski tries to preach. This is a tough situation for Houston to come into. A, it's the Browns opener. B, the Browns were not able to have a full stadium to capacity last year. They will have one on Sunday. It's going to be, it's going to be raucous. There's just no way around that. And the fact that, you know, they know they left one on the table in Kansas City um, makes me think that this team is going to come out focused. They're going to come out laser sharp. They will have Ronnie Harrison for the entire game. I just I think this is a tough, tough situation for the Texans to walk into this week. And, you know, I can just imagine Tyrod Taylor having played with the Browns, having practiced against Miles Garrett, looking at this tape from Sunday and going, Jadavian Clowney's there. Well, this Malik McDowell guy, I've heard of him. Oh, my God, look at this six foot four and a half, 285 pound defensive tackle freak who can basically, you know, smack you from, you know, you know, he's in the back seat of the bus. You're in the front seat of the bus. That's the kind of reach he has. I think it's going to be a tough, tough situation for the Houston Texans because you're going to have an aggravated Browns team, a fired up crowd. And, you know, the Browns realizing that, you know, they have to basically, you know, they can't. The thing with not getting the win versus Kansas City means you cannot now lose one that you have marked as a win. So you can't give up any, you know, you can't have a bad week now because you weren't able to give yourself the luxury of that by stealing that Kansas City game. Great stuff, man. Your podcast, Locked On Browns. How can our Texans fans hit you up on social media if they have any questions about this game? At Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd, the Locked On Browns Twitter account. Um, you know, the show through you know, whatever podcast, uh, you know, avenue platform you listen to. Uh, the show is always free. Um, you know, make sure, you know, check it all out. You'll know, we'll have Texans coverage all week. Uh, you will be shifting to uh, the YouTube format in either the next couple of days or next week. As we just take the next step here, as the network itself just continues to grow and grow, um, we're excited. I mean, this season, I mean, we've all there's so many of us that have been basically putting in so much time covering this team, putting out content, and you know, knowing that you know sometimes, and we've actually had so many listeners say, "You guys' content is really, really great. I wish the product you're covering was as well." Well, I think we've kind of reached that point, and hopefully, the product is a lot better than the content we're providing. I'll wrap it up by reminding everybody that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. When you use it, use the code HST125 to redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. If you forget, look for the promo code in the show description to help our podcast. Sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of the page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and click on BetUS on the right side of the page. Look for our Texans post-game show on your podcast feed. Sunday night, me and Stephen are going to break it down like we do every week. Until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.